The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today we're joined by Dr. Bill Wolf and Jim Svajerko, and we're talking about building a physician practice, leveraging the latest thinking for best-in-class operations. My name is Maureen Metcalf. I'm your host. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I'm also an executive advisor, a consultant, speaker, coach, and author of an award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate how they lead. I'm also on the faculty of universities in the U.S. and Germany. I'm really excited to have Dr. Wolf and Jim joining us today. Dr. Wolf, an internal medicine physician, was a founding member of Central Ohio Primary Care Physicians in 1996 and has been its corporate medical director since 2007. In 2013, he assumed the role of CEO. COPC is a group of 300 doctors at 50 offices in four counties in Ohio. Dr. Wolf graduated from the Medical College of Ohio in 1985, and it is board certified in internal medicine. His clinical interests are preventive care, population management, and maintenance of a continuum of care for our COPC patients. He's married with four daughters and enjoys fishing and hiking. Jim has almost 30 years of working experience in the healthcare industry, first as a clinician, then leader with the University of Virginia Healthcare Systems, Ohio Health, and Ohio State University Medical Center. Now he's a teacher and coach and also the practice leader, physician practice leader at Metcalf and Associates. He's advised many levels of healthcare associates, including informal leaders, frontline managers, physicians, and executive leaders. In addition, Jim is currently on faculty at Ohio University and Franklin University. He graduated from Georgetown University's Executive Leadership Coaching Program, and he received a master's degree in communication from Ohio State and his bachelor's degree in speech and hearing science from Ohio State. So the Innovative Leadership Program is focused on helping leaders update how they lead. So if our leadership skills depreciate like our mobile devices, most of us wouldn't be caught with a 10-year-old phone or many of us, not even a BlackBerry anymore, which was life-changing at one point. So my goal for doing this show is to help leaders continue to innovate in bite-sized chunks or weekly radio shows. And so my hope is that you hear something today from Bill or Jim that you're able to quickly integrate into your daily and and weekly work. I realize that 
some people listening will not be physicians, and yet Bill, as the CEO, is running the practice. And so what healthcare is doing in many ways is leading other industries, and they're applying technologies and, and running their organization in a way that is to be emulated and modeled by other organizations. And Jim is an exceptional thought leader. And so hopefully you will walk away with something to try over the next week that saves you the amount of time you invested in listening to the show. So the outcome for today, Dr. Wolf and Jim will, and I will talk about the leading work COPC is doing and preparing for the next several years as healthcare is experiencing dramatic changes. We'll discuss how they become, how they became a leader in their field and what they're doing to shape how the field of medicine is practiced and led into 2020. So let's start with Dr. Wolf. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and COPC? Uh, yes, uh, Maureen, thank you. Uh, the uh, COPC was formed in uh, 1996 when 33 physicians uh, from 11 separate practices merged into one corporation. Okay. <clears throat> we actually uh, met uh, initially to solve a problem uh, that was created when medical education training ch hours changed and Ohio Health could no longer provide residents for our services in the hospital 12 months a year. Okay. And so we met to identify a, a mechanism by which we could cross-cover each other's patients mm. uh, at, uh, a, while they were hospitalized. Uh, during that first meeting, we realized that uh, there were many other opportunities uh, mm -hmm. besides a hospital service <clears throat> that, uh, that we could improve our practices by becoming one organization and one tax ID number. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm glad to go into those at a later point if you'd like. So you've been in business now about 20 years? 20 years. This will be wow. our, our 20th year this year. Congratulations. Thank you. And the, the organization, COPC, is now leading in many areas? Uh, we are. Um, we have uh, ventured down the uh, patient-centered medical home path, mm -hmm. uh, and from that we've grown into a population health organization. Uh, we have grown to 300 physicians, as you stated, mm -hmm. uh, in multiple offices around town, and we care for 350,000 patients in central Ohio. And so we have the opportunity to not just manage our own patients as a physician, mm -hmm. but manage a large number of patients as an organization. So is that what population health means? It, it is, and, and population health, there are many, many definitions. Mm -hmm. uh, but for us, it means that we will take both clinical and financial responsibility for those patients uh, that depend on us for their primary care services. Okay. Uh, so not only the clinical responsibility, but we will look to create value uh, for the patient, uh, for the employer, and for the physician. Okay, so you, you take a much bigger role than just, I call you when I'm sick. Exactly, exactly. So can you say a little more about specifically what that means? Because this seems new. Yeah, so um, in, in population health, if, if we look at the upside-down pyramid 
of health care costs, mm -hmm. there are about 5% of the population that are costing nearly 50% of the spend. Okay. And if we can identify that 5%, mm -hmm. uh, we can improve the care for the chronically ill, and that's mm -hmm. who those mm -hmm. people are. Yeah. We can improve their care and, and improve their health and thus mm -hmm. decrease the spend on okay. those patients. And, and that means better uh, chronic care management, better education for the patient, uh, better access for the patient when they're ill, mm -hmm. uh, better identification of who those patients are. Uh, and then the second tier of population health is identifying the 20% of patients that will be, and, and who's in that 20% that will be next year's 5%. Okay. And so that is, has been identified as the rising risk. So we're, we're ah, looking to then identify who will be next year's high risk patients and attend to them before they become ill. And so there's a way to pre prevent in some cases. There is. Okay. Uh, and, and then you're left with 75% of the population that really needs just preventive care. Okay. Uh, they really need to see their doctor w once a year or even once every other year mm -hmm. uh, to, to just provide them preventive maintenance. Okay. And, and the random sinus infection exactly. or something. Exactly. Cool. Thank you. And Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You've been in a hospital setting and now in a consulting space. I think you said earlier, um, kind of my background started actually in, in as a clinician. I'm a speech-language pathologist by background. Um, and I recognized as I was kind of heading into this field of leadership, no one ever taught us how to be leaders in school. <laughs> and so I, I, I recognize this pretty easily that even to the extent that physicians kind of walk into this world um, as leaders, many times in your med school programs you were almost told not to collaborate. You were told not to um, come together. And, That's true. And isn't that interesting that now we're asking you and, and others and like myself to try and come together and collaborate and create something different and well that doesn't make sense to many people. And so I kind of recognized this uh, many years ago, six, seven years ago, that I said there's got to be a way for clinicians to get together, to learn some of the skill set, and then to grow to be able to lead others to changes that are coming up, as you mentioned, um, Dr. Wolf, about the changes in population health and, and, and all those things that are happening. Um, how are we going to lead healthcare into the future? And it has to be different than what we've been doing for the last hundreds of years in, 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 in hospital systems. Um, this hierarchical stuff just doesn't work. So how do we, how do we innovate and how do we change to, to that? And so that's been kind of my, my reason, reason to live, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and yet blowing up the hierarchy is terrifying because <laughs> it sounds like anarchy. Right, so there's got to be something that's, it's not an either or, it's there's some model in between that, right. that doesn't mean I just get to show up to work when I feel like it. And you get to, I have to get paid more too. In the right, process. and it's, it's also the idea that sometime, and again, in the physician world, sometime the thought is, is that I'm working side by side with somebody who I want referrals. I'm also their leader, so I'm telling them, hey, you got to pick up your, your seeing patients. Mm -hmm. I also play golf with them on Fridays. <laughs> It happens so much in, in our healthcare world, um, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a physician, whether you're a clinician and of any sort, is that we have an unusual kind of role. We don't rise through and then become the next manager, the next director, mm -hmm. the ne and, and forget about everything we've done up until that point. And many times we're sharing all these worlds all at the same time. We're still practicing. We're still doing some of those kinds of things. And so it's different. It's a different kind of mindset we have to create so that the hierarchical thing doesn't work 
in healthcare, though that's what we've started with and that's kind of where we are in many respects. Jim, you make a great point about referrals and, and Maureen, that's one of the things that's changing. Mm. Historically, our referrals are made to those people that uh, we trained with or mm. that we mm-hmm. uh, know from uh, from mm-hmm. a social outing. Right. Uh, and, and now our referrals need to become uh, based on quality. And, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. that takes into account uh, both quality and cost. And so we, they need to be made based on the value that that specialist creates mm-hmm. for the patient. Right. And, and it's a change for many physicians. Yeah, I worked with a cardiac specialist and his team. And one of the things he talked about is going out and doing kind of educational sessions to build referrals to the team. And again, I didn't think of physicians and surgeons specifically as having to market. And he's marketing based on his expertise. He's certainly not handing out flyers. But there's still a level of practice building. And and there's a level of competition in most cities Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. between systems. Uh, You know, if if we get to value, which we will, uh, hospital beds will go away. Uh, because we will prevent hospitalizations uh, Mm -hmm. through better care and through better Mm -hmm. access. Mm -hmm. And as we do that, uh, the number of hospital beds in any city around the country will decrease. And so if you're a hospital and your goal is to keep your beds full... Which uh, it is, right? Utilization. Uh, They've got bricks and mortar to pay Mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. And if your goal is to keep those beds full, your funnel size has to be greater. You uh, You must have a larger percent of the population that says, hospital X is my hospital. Um, and, and that's where the competition is among systems. And we've got hospitals going up all over around central Ohio. We do. We do. We have. Uh, and, and the number of beds hasn't increased mm-hmm. necessarily. Right. They've increased ah. the number of private rooms. But there's still a tremendous cost that's gone into those buildings, um, several billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and those, those costs will have to be accounted for. And paid back. Exactly. <laughs> Through mm-hmm. loans and such. Right. So I love the idea. I'm just thinking of my aging process that I don't have to look forward to hospitalization at some point. We, everybody, not most people are eventually hospitalized for something, be it surgery, but our goal would be to better control those chronic conditions, uh, be it uh, COPD or diabetes or hypertension, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, better control those chronic conditions to prevent the long-term outcomes that lead to hospitalizations, okay. um, whether, whether it's uh, lung infections from COPD, whether it's stroke from hypertension that's uncontrolled, whether mm-hmm. it's cardiac disease, our goal is to prevent those long-term sequelae of a chronic illness. Okay. Being that COPC is trying to build a business outside of the conglomerate model or the, the big hospital system, what does leadership look like in your kind of business? Um, leadership actually has to be in, in now in this time of healthcare. Uh, leadership has to be transformational. It, it's it's got to be uh, innovative and it needs to be transformational. This is a a tremendous opportunity for mm-hmm. physicians mm-hmm. Um, and for uh, all of the population. Imagine if we can get to a place where healthcare is better, where we get more for every dollar spent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it leadership has to be transformational. 
transformational and it has to it's there's and it's not just the leaders that have to be transformational it's the physicians in each practice that have to be transformational for their staff and and even down to the staff level that's one of our greatest problems for our organization is engagement of staff mm -hmm. and and helping them to understand the important role they play in a patient's care and when when we think about <clears throat> for us our our medical assistants uh, th that those those uh, employees though there are least educated employees there are outward facing employees who mm -hmm. are taking care of mm -hmm. our patients daily mm -hmm. and we need to convey to them how important it is uh, that they are engaged in that care mm -hmm. and so that that transformational leadership has to has to get down to every single level I love the point that it, it isn't our physicians always certainly we need exceptional physicians that's unquestioned but that my patient experience is often dictated by how long I sat in a paper gown in a cold room exactly well I think the interesting part though too is that this transformational leadership has to happen at the physician level though mm -hmm. de facto leaders of all healthcare, unfortunately or fortunately are the physicians and mm -hmm. I think that we come out of medical schools with physicians that um, may or may not want that role but unfortunately it's it's your role and how do we then help the physician take that role and and lead through in a transformational way right because we can't do the same things like we have in the past but I do think that there is a uh, there, there's this physician that, that that knows that he or she is the leader but isn't able to take the reins um, for lots mm -hmm. of reasons. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go on break and I would love to, when we come back, explore that further. How do we help people who are absolutely exceptional at their craft of being a physician or a surgeon step into a leadership role? Because I'm guessing not only did you not learn it in med school, but not everyone wants it. So we'll be right back after break. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one -on -one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. 
If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We're with Dr. Wolf and Jim. And we're talking about physicians changing, specifically taking leadership roles. And during break, we were talking about a couple examples of folks who are amazingly high-quality docs, physicians, surgeons, and don't necessarily choose to take a leadership role. So would both of you comment on maybe an experience you've seen, and and then I'll share my mine as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for us, in our organization... Uh, we have physicians that are outstanding physicians, but when we moved into the the patient-centered medical home initiative, the PCMH mm-hmm. initiative, they actually didn't buy into it, and they mm-hmm. didn't. Mm-hmm. They they uh, felt that I I, I don't want to go into a program, I don't want to change what I do, and we we found that their offices failed to follow. Uh, the the path of patient-centered medical home. So when when we required physicians to improve their access and uh, assistance, medical assistance, to spend more time with patients and mm-hmm. to uh, and to identify high-risk patients and to help manage them, mm-hmm. if the physician was not engaged, if there was not okay. a physician leader at the site that mm-hmm. was engaged, uh, their office failed to follow. And uh, th- that was a that was a problem for us, and it took uh, individual conversations with physicians mm-hmm. to help them to understand that their staff was watching, and mm-hmm. if you didn't think it's important, they don't think it's important. And uh, the the issues of of access and chronic disease management uh, were at the center of patient centered medical home, so it was very important for us. And it's also at the center of, as you said, co- the cost structure. Right. So if we are to get the cost structure right. Right, if there is such a thing, but managed, this has to happen. Right. Okay. Well, the interesting thing is, uh, in as I coach and teach all over the country, I see this not just with this particular issue, I see it generally. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is, unfortunately, this, this not only mm-hmm. is a program acceptance, but it then becomes an employee engagement. It becomes mm-hmm. a... A patient experience as well, mm-hmm. because if the physician isn't supporting the um, uh, particular initiative of customer experience, well, then the rest of the staff really doesn't care. And they're not, you know. So it's really interesting because um, as I work with physicians and we try to discuss through um, how how can we help you mm-hmm. with the acceptance of changes, the acceptance of the importance of of, of patient care 
experience. Um, I, I'll never forget, I had a particular physician who said, what is, what is patient experience care? Look, if I get them through surgery and they're successful through that, what does it matter whether they had a quote-unquote experience? experience? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it's a real mind change that's going on in, in, mm -hmm. in, in all of healthcare in general. You know, it's not just the fact that everyone expects that you have no infection, and but now they want to have the Marriott experience as well. You know. Well, and it's interesting, Jim, that when you, when you mention that, because as we get to value mm -hmm. and we look for the surgeon or the facility that provides value for our patient mm -hmm. and their employer mm -hmm. and the community, that physician may not be have the personality you're hoping mm -hmm. they have. <laughs> and so you actually find yourself warning patients that I'm going to send you to Dr. X, he may not be the kindest man or have the best personality, but he's the best surgeon. And so for, for that day, we're not looking for a friend, we're looking for a good surgeon. And so you actually have to, as, as we find value, mm -hmm. it may not lie or coincide with personality. So, so that needs to be managed, and, and, and it sounds like you make room for. Absolutely. So, so not everyone goes to charm school. Exactly. A few people go to charm school. That's right. I, <laughs> I have worked with some who were sentenced to hang out with me until they became more charming. <laughs> Stay with the coach until you're a good, good, good person. Until you stop sakes. yelling at people. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so, so there is a minimum tolerable behavior, I'm assuming. Exactly. I think it's getting much, in, much, much better. I mean, uh, again, I've been in healthcare for almost 30 years. Um, 30 years ago, you just kind of expected that... Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be a blow up in the hallway. Oh, I don't want to talk to Dr. So-and-so. You know, I'm going to have to try and get an order for dysphagia evaluation. Oh, dear Lord. You know, you try <laughs> to avoid that. <laughs> but, um, you know, at this point, I think it's, there are much more teams created and there are much more mm -hmm. collaboration events and things like that that just weren't available 30 years ago. I think organizations no longer tolerate Mm -hmm. behavior that used to be tolerated. And I'd say that's across the board, because I grew up in a, a corporate environment. I was in corporate finance, and someone would come down the hall, and you'd hear screaming and yelling, and occasionally something was thrown or kicked, and everyone would shut their doors, and then we would peer out, and it just we don't do that anymore. We also don't drink at lunch anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm probably dating myself, but that was kind of what you did. Yeah, there have been a lot of changes that have happened, and and unfortunately, healthcare just started the change. I mean, they're only mm -hmm. a minuscule part of the change that must occur in order for healthcare to be something successful in the future. Well, and and that's where the opportunity is, and mm -hmm. that's what we have to convince our physicians and our organizations. This is an opportunity for this generation mm -hmm. of physicians mm -hmm. uh, that d doesn't come along very often. You know, that's the thing I love about all of this transformation work, the culture, the systems, and the leadership, is we're seeing a sea change in how medicine is delivered. And it, I was talking to a, a neighbor last night who was headed to the hospital, in fact, and, and the thing that came to mind was how amazing to live in this era, because five years ago, he wouldn't be alive right now. So, or something like that. But we're living in a time where it's changed a lot and it's gonna change. This whole genome mapping stuff. Well, and, and our success is actually creating problems. 
because yeah. you know the average life expectancy when Medicare came uh, in the 60s, the average life expectancy was 67. Mm-hmm. Now it's 78. And so, what, you know, Medicare was built to take care of people on average for two years. And, and now we have many people living well into their 90s. Uh, and and uh, when I stopped practicing, I had 102 year, uh, two 102-year-olds. And uh, so it's, it's not unusual to have people that are very elderly and actually have not suffered debilitating events, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, be it stroke or heart attack. Mm-hmm. They're, they're actually living alone and doing well. Living very independently and very, very nicely. So it's, it's created a problem. We have, we, we, and and the, add that extended life to the baby boomer generation, when we have 10,000 people a day in the United States turning 65, we will have a crunch of, of older patients that need care. Well, and I think as we look at the, the societal impact, the, the, it's Medicare, it's Social Security, it's pensions, how do we live, how are we cared for, our whole demographics in, in a way will change jobs people have will change. I mean, I think we, we're going to see, of course, health care will never go away. We'll always have opportunities to to care for individuals, whether they're sick or chronically or whether they're um, uh, experiencing some preventative types of things. I think, and I don't know what the answer is, of course. If I did, I'd probably, we'd all be sitting someplace else, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> On a beach? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but how do we change this thing called health care to be something that's not the same way? You mentioned this thing about uh, beds. And um, I remember, you know, being part of this. And the, the fuller your hospital was, the more successful you were, right? It's still kind of like that. And so there are, there's kind of a... A dichotomy happening in that we don't want you to go to the hospital. Yes, we do. No, we don't. Yes, we do. No, we don't. And so it's interesting. You know, that and, this and, is and what on. we want is the right people in the hospital at the mm-hmm, right time mm-hmm. uh, and, and really at the right facility. And, and that facility, not every hospital should likely perform every procedure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where primary care needs to be effective in directing our patients to the facility that can best serve them. The, the other interesting thing about health is that health care is only 10% of health. Yeah. 90% is genetic mm-hmm. and y- your personal behavior and your social situation. Mm-hmm. So we're only a small fraction of health, but we are part of, our piece is broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and we're not delivering quality uh, for the dollar spent. And when you say we, you mean the entire healthcare system. Exactly. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify that. Uh, right, right, right. COPC is actually exceptional. Well, and, and, and you know, it's interesting. It, that's a great point because no one is exceptional. We, and, and so we, when, when we see systems competing, mm-hmm. um, we should do all we can to prevent that. Because when we're all really good, then mm-hmm. we can compete. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the meantime, we should help each other get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and so I, I, I hope we see uh, uh, collaboration as we move forward because that's required to get to value. And that's the huge transformational change that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Going back to what we said earlier, um, it's this idea of collaboration that we, we need to have internationally, but at least within Central Ohio, within all of Ohio, you know, as we, as mm-hmm. we become more macro. Um, and it has to happen, and it's just not happening. Right. And that's where we're struggling. So that gets to the mindset change of how we grow our leaders. Because I grow up with a perspective that hierarchy is how things work, that winning means I beat you. 
-hmm. and and I have more procedures, mm -hmm. not that I have the right procedures and I send the other ones to somebody down the street. So how are we changing mindset? Uh, for us, for, for COPC, it's actually fairly easy because we're mostly primary care and there actually aren't enough primary care physicians. So okay. we don't feel as though we need to compete for patients. Mm -hmm. um, we can just improve the care we deliver. Yeah. And you, you still have to satisfy patients mm -hmm. uh, and you still have to provide great care, but you don't have to necessarily market to patients as systems do. Okay. Um, but but the, so the transformation for us is back to the leadership issue and making sure that in every one of our over 50 offices, we have a physician uh, that is willing to lead and willing to help us innovate. So you've got physicians in each office because they're physician offices. Correct. And, and <laughs> but, but they're not all <laughs> choosing to lead. Some of them are choosing to be docs and not lead. Exactly. And we, okay. we, have, we have a very large board. Right now we have 57 offices. And so we actually have 57 board members. Every new office we bring uh, gets a board seat. Now, mm -hmm. you would say, well, that's an unwieldy board, and you'd be mm -hmm. right. From that board, we elect an executive committee of 10 mm -hmm. physicians mm -hmm. that actually functions more as a board. But every month we get together with those board representatives who are physicians who are actually the leaders in those offices and so uh, we uh, so how do we reach them we, we require them to be at meetings uh, they're they're compensated for those meetings mm -hmm. and it's uh, a part of their bonus for citizenship beyond that mm. compensation okay and uh, so uh, the the uh, Behavior does follow mm -hmm. uh, um, as we change uh, the value related to that mm -hmm. behavior. Mm -hmm. so, so again, that's a perfect example of putting the structure behind, not, boy, wouldn't it be nice if you showed up to a meeting. Right. You're expected to be here. This is what we're going to do. And if you don't do it, there's and, a compensation hit. And, and there's a compensation hit to your whole practice. So, ah. so it's not just that physician, but the two, three, five, or eight, or ten physicians at that site also take a compensation hit. So the, the board representative must be at the meeting. And, and so we get participation. And so it sounds like they mostly show up. They do. <laughs> so you have, a, I think, 200 physicians? Uh, 300 total. Oh, 300. 300. Um, and so do they see the value of this whole idea of leadership and transformation? I mean, it's not just the 57. It's really 300 that everyone looks at, right? And, and so the, the, the way I, we've been approaching that is trying to get physicians involved in other committees. Mm -hmm. So instead of uh, all the same physicians being on three committees, yeah. uh, we actually look for opportunities to engage physicians in committee work. And we actually look to engage our young physicians <coughs> excuse me, in, in committee work. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we offer a leadership training course for our physicians. Columbus Medical Association has a, a, a year-long leadership training Mm -hmm. course and we pay for that and we encourage our young physicians to attend and that's a leadership specific training it is okay. it's a physician leadership training let's go to break at this point and we will be back shortly
Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. The Leadership Hour explores what it takes to become a leader who inspires. Inspirational leaders drive higher creativity, lower turnover, and better quality work. Yet few understand their impact on others. We are blind to what we do and don't do well. Training can help, but only if we know our blind spots. To hear strategies for becoming an inspirational leader, join Christine Cowan Gascoigne on the Leadership Hour, where leadership and inspiration intersect. Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We're with Dr. Wolf and Jim Sfajerico. Very good. Sorry, I struggle with names. So let's talk about how do you see healthcare changing for the primary care physician? How does their life change right now? You know, uh, Maureen, the problem with primary care physicians is they can make whatever they want to make. Mm-hmm. And, and they have a salary in mind, mm-hmm. and they can make that in a fee-for-service world by just seeing more patients. Okay. And so whatever fraction of their salary a patient represents as determined by an insurance company, okay. they can see that many patients uh, to make their salary. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem is those, you know, we used to say that those really busy physicians were great doctors. You must be a really good doctor if you're really busy. But when we dig into quality numbers, you find out that the busiest physicians aren't necessarily your best physicians. And their uh, percent of patients that that have diabetes controlled or blood Mm. pressure controlled is actually Mm. lower. 
And so the, the bottom line is good care takes time. And so in a fee-for-service mm -hmm. world, in a per-click payment world, your best physicians are your lowest paid physicians. But if you move to value and okay. you value events that don't happen mm -hmm. and you begin to pay physicians because mm -hmm. their patient population is healthier. Mm -hmm. And so the example of that is if a primary care physician has 2,000 patients and no one has colon cancer, there's value that's been created. Mm -hmm. uh, Prior to now, that value was recognized by the insurance company or the employer uh, for those events that didn't mm -hmm. happen. Mm -hmm. But in a value equation where physicians are in shared savings or at risk, some of that value is returned to the physician. So our leadership challenge is to bring physicians from the fee-for-service world into the value world where they can actually uh, maintain an income mm -hmm. and see fewer patients and have better job satisfaction. The, okay. the, the, you know, it used to be that you could see many people in a day and do so successfully, but mm -hmm. in an electronic world, it's harder. And whether it's meaningful use as dictated by the government or PQRS, physician quality reporting as dictated by Medicare, the, mm -hmm. the clicks necessary for documenting a visit have gone uh, up tremendously. Okay. And so it's a dissatisfier for, this, for physicians to see more and more patients because it just means more and more work at night. And so the, the way we save primary care, mm -hmm. uh, and Jim, you probably see this frequently with dissatisfaction, the way we save it is, is getting physicians to see fewer patients in a day mm -hmm. Take better care of them, create value mm -hmm. in events that don't happen, and then be paid for it. A good friend of mine left the practice of medicine a while back when I think she's a OBGYN, and I think she said that to meet her numbers, she she had three minutes to see patients. So she, it, imagine your day if it was broken into three minute increments, and if I have to use the restroom, I'm probably missing something. Yeah, we I, didn't go into healthcare to see people quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that the fee-for-service um, um, model is still pretty strong out there. I mean, the idea, if nothing else, is still strong. Um, and the more people you see, RVUs, whatever you mm -hmm, want to call mm -hmm. it, um, is still a strong model that people are still supporting. I love what you said as far as this idea of um, seeing less sometimes actually can gain me more. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's a real interesting idea that leaders will have to in healthcare will have to push down to mm -hmm. um, individuals and starting from major um, hospital organizations who employ physicians um, is that this is this is a different kind of approach it's not an approach that we um, have had in the past and it's not about who we see how many we see but instead it's it's the quality of, of that and it takes organizations to go to a payer mm -hmm. and say show me my data if our organization is uh, saving you per member per month X amount mm -hmm, of money mm -hmm. through better care, mm -hmm. we need to realize some of that value. Because again, better care takes time mm -hmm. and you can't do it fast. So if you're an organization that is valuing better care, you, you, uh, you have to get the insurance companies to recognize that. And as a patient, it also means I change my relationship with my doc. Now this is someone I'm going to share stuff with, not hide stuff from. Because I only yeah. had two minutes to talk to you anyway, yeah. so I'm going to have to get these. <coughs> Better do it quickly. Exactly. It's a transaction. Exactly. And I'm in and out versus, hey, this is my goal or this is what I'm seeing. I don't even think about having a conversation with the transactional one. And we also have to find a way to see the right people. 
So if you're only going to see 17 people a day instead of 30, it needs to be the right 17. It, it shouldn't be the 26-year-old who's in for his yearly physical on the nose every year to punch his card for his employer. Mm-hmm. It should be the 58-year-old at home in stage one heart failure who couldn't get in today because when they called, you were booked with 26-year-olds. So uh-huh. we really have to identify the right patients mm-hmm. to be seen today. And, and that's where we have to help our physicians. So I think I hear you saying is a little bit of it's it's not just even um, the healthcare organizations like COPC, but it's also the insurance organizations of many systems. Because whether you work for um, a hospital organization, you work for a financial institution, the people that dictate how and who you see for your services are usually the insurance companies that say you have to go every year. You have to, you know. And again, I'm 26 years old. I wish. Um, <laughs> I don't need to go in every every year right. for a, you're fine, go home. But the 50, 55, 50, 60, those individuals probably should be heading into the, hospital, into the doctor more often. And, and so in today's world, we actually sit down with leaders from, mm-hmm. uh, from em- the employer leaders, the HR department, and the payer to help develop a benefit plan that will create health and value. Okay, so I I was talking to a client last night who said my new employer gives me a rebate on my deductible if I do these things. So you're driving that conversation. And and so you begin to help design a benefit plan Mm that will create value and health. I didn't realize that was in part coming from the physician practice. But, and, and it's interesting. We're, we're, we're truly behind the rest of the country. Uh, not the rest of the country. We're behind the West Coast. Okay. Uh, we, we aren't inventing this in central Ohio. All mm-hmm. we have to do mm-hmm. is look to California and Washington and markets where, the, where value has been uh, a proposition yeah. for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the payers have that organizational structure on the West Coast. They can do it here, too. Mm-hmm. So are you doing much yet with the human genome mapping work? Very That's little right now because of it me. is fascinating. Uh, very little right now because of the expense. I think the the best, the most immediate use for that mm-hmm. will be in targeted drugs, uh, mm-hmm. especially for mm-hmm. chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And for, uh, you know, sometimes an example would be a depressed patient. Uh, you might go through three or four antidepressants mm-hmm. and take six months doing it to find the one that works. And if through targeted uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, we mm-hmm. can actually identify which drug would work best for the patient. Uh, there's tremendous value there for the patient uh, okay. who's depressed. So I, I think we're headed. Th- right now, that's not in use in the, uh, in Central Ohio or really mm-hmm. anywhere uh, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But that's on the five-year. It is absolutely. Yeah, we did an interview aired last week talking about cybersecurity and the instance of where the increased incidence of wearables so i more people now have back to the electronics that you talked about at the beginning i may have a pacemaker that's now attached to something um my insulin pump is attached and feeding data back to somebody is that something you're focused on you know it, it our best use of that is actually for our diabetics and with blood sugar okay, values okay. um the the, the risk we run with the wearables 
is that there's too much information hitting physicians' desks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, if, if you're sending your physician every day your steps, we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's, what, that's what's encouraged. And uh, so what we need to do, again, back to that 5% yeah. that cost 50%, that 5% needs wearables. Okay. <laughs> they need to go home from the hospital and they need to be weighed every day and their blood pressure checked mm-hmm, every day mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. their sugar checked and those need to come to the doctor. But if, if you start sending us your steps... We'll, My steps shouldn't go to we'll have a, Yeah, we'll have alert <laughs> fatigue and then you won't pay attention when you need to. Well, and what he said was 20% of data in a few years will be medical data. 20% of all data generated. So back to your point that physicians are spending more time entering data right. and reviewing data. And, and the electronic health record is better. It's just harder. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I liken it to if I have a, a, a wall full of 20,000 charts, I can't tell you who was not in this year. Mm-hmm. On a computer, I can. And okay. so uh, the, it's just harder, but it's better. Okay. It does take time, I think, this whole um, uh, electronic health records and, and, and trying to keep things safe. This idea of keeping medical records safe is just really blossomed. And I think, Maureen, that's probably where you were headed is mm-hmm. this whole idea that not only the fact that, that we're trying to keep these safe, but we're actually getting more information <laughs> rather than, okay, we, we mm. want to pr- try and um, uh, uh, protect this pile. Now the pile's growing. Now how do we protect that pile? And then how do we protect, mm-hmm. you know, there's another mm-hmm. pile. And so I think that, you know, you're right. And how do we protect that information is, is, is a, is a, a scary option in many respects mm-hmm. because um, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of information mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. there. And um, how, how do we protect those kinds of things in something as simple as a primary care physician practice? Mm-hmm. Well, and part of, and so thank you for filling that in. I'm trying to steer what I was thinking. Um, it, you know, as we think about physician leaders and the, the volume of change, part of it is how do we change our mindset back to the mindset thing and dealing with data differently and WebMD and right. you know, people used to come into a physician, at least how I grew up, and you have all the answers and I don't go do my own research right. and I don't come in with my steps or my charts of whatever I've done. It, my relationship is now changing. Well, the other thing that I think is really interesting that um, you're bringing up is this idea of change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I remember graduating from from um, school and thinking, okay, in ten years I'll have it down. <laughs> and and I think there was a point at which, I mean, of course you'd 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 learn new things, but it wasn't these changing things. I mean, the world changed totally in in, in ten years, and will continue to change mm-hmm. in five years, and and on and on. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's this idea of a leader being able to manage within themselves this idea that I need to change on an hourly perhaps basis, uh, maybe a daily basis, but at least um, I need to be willing to be amoeba-like so that I can be changing, not necessarily patient to patient, but especially when I'm um, getting different kinds of information. Oh my goodness, I just I just figured out the last um, EHR. But Fatigue. I, I, th- I think you're right, Jim, that, that for leaders the need to be innovative and flexible and transparent mm-hmm. to your organization while leading them to a goal mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and your organization allowing you to get off track periodically and to innovate is, is has never been greater. And how do we help physicians as we help other leaders manage the fatigue of, I've still got to see patients all day, you're changing what I'm doing all the time, I don't have time to 
keep up with the latest medical research, let alone all this leadership stuff. And, and so really it's important that we let physicians focus on the clinical care. Okay and we limit the initiatives that we put out to them mm-hmm. and and we time those uh, to prevent initiative fatigue so okay. <clears throat> in an organization that goes as, as you go into patient-centered medical home and then population health and then trying to manage through through care management you're going to mm-hmm. manage the five percent you begin you, physicians begin to get fatigued mm-hmm. and so you have to make those transformations easy for them okay and you have to help them understand the importance of them you have to you have to be able to demonstrate there's value in this innovation mm-hmm. and you, you, we actually target a small number of practices for an innovation and we, we rotate those so that mm, one practice okay. isn't overwhelmed. And okay. then at a board meeting, that that those five or six practices can report back mm-hmm. that this was a great program and okay. everyone should do it. And so creating excitement. Yes. I'm also wondering, though, too, if that it's that whole idea of not only initiatives that, that need to be managed, but also managing himself. So, again, um, not only am I learning about these new initiatives, patient-centered um, uh, medical homes, um, anything, um, that I'm also learning part of my, my development has to be learning of myself. And mm-hmm. so I have to do these kinds of things on a regular basis as much as I'm learning the newest technique in diabetes care. And, and, you know, that's a great point because that's where we fall short okay. is educating our physicians and their staff on what population health is and why it's important. Mm-hmm. It's easy for the administrative team and mm-hmm. the executive committee to know where we're going. Mm-hmm. But if you're not putting out regular information mm-hmm. that is uh, short and and uh, in, in the in the format they want it, uh, we'll mm-hmm. leave people behind. And that's the last thing we want. Well, it's how does it relate to you? You know what I mean? I think that sometimes I, I think we end up throwing information out and saying, this is wonderful, let's, let's, let's all cheer. But what we forgot to do is to, to, to also have discussions. And again, some of us are further along in, in understanding that right away. Oh, I can see how this relates to me. But there, I think there are individuals, many clinicians out there that are standing there thinking, oh, dear God, one more change. You know? yep. mm-hmm. And that's not what it's about. It's more about um, um, how... I need to be flexible. I need to figure out how I can adapt to some of these kinds of things um, as opposed to one more thing. It is another possibility. The changes related to the Affordable Care Act, which I support, the, the, um, have been very fatiguing for physicians. Mm-hmm. You're right. They're, yeah, just, right. they're just one after another. And so then the question is, how do I manage myself? That's right. Manage the range of stuff, everything from electronic medical records to pay for health rather than at least I could manage my income. Now I don't even know how healthy these people will be because I don't know that they're going to do what I said. So there's got to be some amount of frustration in the shift even though globally it's the right thing. For me as an individual I'm happy the rest of the world's going to be good. I need to pay my house payment and enjoy coming to work because I invested a lot of money and years in becoming a physician. And and so you've got to be able to create that vision for physicians Mm -hmm. and that path to their success. That's right. And to their satisfaction that that 
this is a great career. This is what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. I wanted to take better care of patients, and now I can. Right, right. And I think, unfortunately or fortunately, the, the times have changed in the old days. You went to medical school and you thought, once I get finished, by the time I'm 50, <laughs> I'll be that. able to go <laughs> go golfing every Wednesday. And many of them did in the back in the 70s and right. 80s, and that, that was life. Now they're doing charts. Now they're doing charts. So, so this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Thank you both so much for sharing your insights about how the medical practice is changing. And I really appreciate your sharing, Bill, the, the vision for the future the changes that you're integrating on a regular basis and the structure and processes that you're putting around it so I don't throw a vision out and just hope people change. I, you're actually doing concrete structural work and culture work uh, and leadership development work. So all of the steps are happening to support the, the vision that you've created. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Please give us feedback, info at metcalf-associates.com. I would love to hear your responses and questions. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.